You know, on the trip that we had this past couple of weeks, we saw lots of sources of power. Okay, we saw tons of windmills, just these giant wind turbines, uh, turbines, not turbines, not something you wear on your head. Um, sorry, I'm from East Tennessee. We say turbines. Um, saw these wind turbines out there. We saw uh, uh, oil wells, drilling oil. We saw some coal fire plants, even a hydroelectric plant. We even saw some nuclear plants, all these kinds of sources of power. We saw trains that were steam trains and more often than not diesel-powered trains. Uh, we even got to drive through the Trinity test site where the first atom bomb was detonated, which reminds me of a dad joke. Why should you never trust an atom? Because they make up everything. There's, there's my dad joke for the, for the week. Well, this week, as Christy said in VBS, our kids are going to learn how Jesus' power pulls us through. His power pulls us through the storms of life. His power pulls us through those times when maybe we've got peer pressure that's that's on us, tempting us to do something wrong or, or, or tempting us to keep quiet about Jesus. And they're going to discover how Jesus' power gives them hope, how Jesus' power helps them to be good friends, and even how Jesus' power can give them eternal life. And they're going to be looking at lots of stories from the, books, uh, from the book of Acts. They're going to be studying in Acts to help them see how Jesus' power helped pull through the early church and early disciples uh, so I thought that we would do the same for us this morning as dads and as moms. Uh, I want us to look at the early church servant leaders, particularly in Acts chapter 6, and let that be an example for us of how Jesus can empower our parenting in the 21st century. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, just as it was in the first century, parenting today is a challenge. It's a challenge for us to raise our children to know and love and serve Jesus and to live their lives based on His Word. Uh, and it's just as much a challenge for us today as it was 2,000 years ago because we live in a world that's hostile to the Word of God, that's hostile to our Christian faith. And so we need Jesus as our ultimate power source just as much as they did back then. So let's look at Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. It's a very familiar passage to most of us. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So in, in a way, it was a little bit of racial strife was happening within the church over this issue of giving food to the widows in need. So the twelve, meaning the apostles, gathered all the disciples together, all the followers of Jesus there in Jerusalem, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, 
So the apostles were, were the leaders of the infant church. The church was just a baby at this point. And the apostles were very much like spiritual fathers. They were helping to guide the church through these first baby steps that it was taken. And they devoted themselves to prayer, to study and the preaching of God's Word, to helping the church navigate these uncharted waters. Nothing like this had ever been done before. And so they couldn't be distracted from the more pragmatic, logistical aspects of the church, and especially meeting people's daily needs. And so that's still an important task, and so they delegated it to men that were trustworthy, men that were full of the Spirit and wisdom. We call these men the first deacons. They were sort of proto-deacons. Now, I want you to keep your finger there in Acts 6 and turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Because by the time Paul wrote his letter to the church in Ephesus, the church had matured. It had grown. It went from this baby church in Jerusalem to hundreds of congregations throughout the Roman Empire, each led by pastors and deacons of their own. And because of that, the church could now begin to focus a little bit less on survival and and the pragmatic details, and they began to focus more on theology and how are they to live out their faith in daily life. So in those earliest days in Acts... The church is having to focus on the more practical matters of survival, but then we begin to see this transition. So as Paul writes in Ephesians, he's focusing on some important theological truths and helping the Ephesian Christians live out their relationship with Jesus in their relationships with friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and that sort of thing. So in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul is drawing a comparison between the church and the family, and is using that to explain the essence of the gospel on one hand, but also showing us how to live as disciples in our church and in our home. So let's look at that to discover how Jesus empowers us as parents by looking at what he has to say, particularly to the fathers here in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. You know, it's been said that parent isn't just a noun, it's also a verb. And I think that also applies to the terms mother and father as well. And so I want us to think and not just about being a father, but how do we do the work of a father? How do we father? And as, as Christy said, as disciples of Jesus, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, allow Jesus to empower us so that we can father or mother in God's ways. And so the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the roles of a dad who's being powered by Jesus. Now, we tend to confuse roles with tasks. A father might have many tasks. What are some of the tasks a father might have? Drilling, right? Okay. Fixing things and building things with tools, right? We love that, and and power tools especially. 
Okay, what are some other tasks of a father? Cutting grass, maintaining the lawn. Another one we saw on the screen earlier. Taking out the trash. I'm an expert at that. Killing the bugs in the house. I've been known to do that from time to time too. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, earning a living. In some houses, the dad is the primary uh, earner of income for the family. It might be uh, driving the car on a family vacation. It might be paying the bills. It could be teaching the kid how to throw a football or hit a baseball. There are so many different tasks that we associate with fathers, but those tasks are interchangeable. Napping on the recliner, another good one. I'm very good at that. But these role, these tasks are, are interchangeable, aren't they? Women can also pay the bills and mow the yard and cook on the grill and do all those things as well. They're even interchangeable between parents and children. I mean, that's one of the reasons we have children, so they can take out the trash and mow the yard so that we can nap in the recliner, right? But moms and dads do have distinct roles. In the family. And the Bible teaches that the primary role of the husband and father in the family is that of being the spiritual servant leader of his family. Now, I want us to talk about those two aspects. First, spiritual leadership. There's a difference between biblical leadership and secular views of leadership. The world tells us that leadership is something you earn by accomplishment, it's driven by ambition. But biblical leadership isn't like that, it's different. Biblical spiritual leadership is always born out of love. It's born out of love. And that's what Paul means in Ephesians 5 in this passage. He talks about a father providing spiritual leadership for his family because he loves God and he loves his family. Love is always his motivation. So, dads, before you react, before you discipline, before you make a decision, before you spend your time or money, you should ask yourself... Is this the loving thing to say or do? What is my motivation in what I'm doing? And if it's anything other than love, you should take a step back and reflect. So spiritual leadership is born out of love. Secondly, spiritual leadership is modeled after Christ. Look back with me to Ephesians 5, uh, 23. For the husband is the head of of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And then look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The bar has been set high for us men. We are to love and lead our families the way Jesus has loved and leads his church. And how did Jesus do that? By sacrificially giving up himself for her. By literally laying down his life for her on the cross. Now, Paul isn't saying there that we should, you know, be crucified on a cross. He's not saying that we are responsible for dying for our children's sins. We can't do that. Jesus has already done that. Only Jesus can do that. But there are some things that Jesus did do as he loves and leads his church that we can model ourselves after. Look with me uh, on the screen or in your Bibles. Just turn a page over to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. Listen to what some other things Jesus did for the church that we can mimic. In fact, Paul even says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So he's about to describe an attitude of self-denial and sacrificial love that we are supposed to have. He says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, 
by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You want to know how you can be a better husband? How you can be a better father? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Jesus. Be like Him. Love and serve in the humility and the self-sacrificing way that Jesus did for us. Follow, as we sang earlier, in the footsteps of Jesus. But third, spiritual leadership is also focused on prayer and on Scripture. Now, of course, there's no doubt that Jesus knew the Scriptures. He knew them well. He authored them. There's no doubt that Jesus prayed. We see him praying many, many times throughout the Gospels. And the the apostles in the early church followed this example. If you look back at Acts chapter 6, in verse 2 and in verse 4, we're reminded that the, the concern, the chief concern of the apostles was not just feeding the physical hunger and taking care of the physical, practical needs of people, which was important. Their focus was on prayer and the Word because they knew without that the church didn't have a chance of survival. There would be no power in the church if it weren't for them spending time in prayer and in the Word as they preached and taught and as they led. And so the same is true for us. Just as it was in the first century, evil is real. Satan is real. He's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking God's people to devour, to ruin their lives, their testimony. The spiritual forces in this world are hostile to God's people and to God's Word. And sadly, we see that more and more every day. We live in a time where Christians are being persecuted around the world in places where Paul wrote to, places like Ephesus and Thessalonica, in these these places where God's people and God's story unfolded, Christians are experiencing as as bad persecution as they did 2,000 years ago. And even in our own country, we see that Religious freedom is a fragile thing. And constantly the threads of that tapestry are being pulled and are being unraveled all around us. Temptations bombard us constantly as never before. And the world is working overtime to try to convince people that right is wrong and wrong is right, that good is evil and evil is good. And so moms and dads, our kids, just as the church did not stand a chance in the first century without the apostles devoting themselves to prayer and the Word. Our kids don't stand a chance in this world if we don't devote ourselves to prayer and the Word. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. That's an imperative. Dads, that is your God-given responsibility. I'm thankful that I had Christian parents and grandparents, godly men and women who not only prayed for me my whole life, but who modeled prayer for me. They not only taught and read to me God's Word and took me to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, but I saw them reading God's Word on their own. I heard them and saw them praying. They modeled these things for me. Children have a great way of picking up on what's important to their parents because they see what we spend our time and money on. They see what we worry about. They pick up on what the priorities are in our lives. So dads, especially me ask you, based on your personal walk with Jesus, 
the time you spend in God's Word and in prayer, the priority you place on church and serving and being on mission, on tithing, do your children think that Jesus is important to you? What kind of priority does He take in your life? What kind of priority do you think He's going to take in their lives based on the examples that we set for them? We must focus on prayer and the Word. Not only about our children, but with our children. Next, we see servant leadership. It's not just spiritual leadership. It's servant leadership. That's an important role as a dad. In Acts chapter 6, we see the apostles, yes, they guarded their spiritual leadership role, but they also delegated to the deacons the important role of being a servant. Acts 5 tells us that. It tells us that in addition to spiritual needs, the church has physical needs as well. And so we see in this that servant leadership is, first of all, practical. Look at Ephesians 5.29. Paul picks this up in Ephesians 5.29. He says, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Just as Jesus' power provides for our spiritual care and feeding, dads powered by Jesus should provide for their families' physical needs. Being a leader isn't just about making the decisions or disciplining your children. It's also about getting your hands dirty, dads. Dads change diapers. Dads wash dishes. Dads sometimes buy the groceries. Dads cook. They clean the house. Yes, they even do laundry. Those are tasks. And listen, dads, every one of us should be willing to embrace those kinds of tasks with joy, with gratitude, and with love. Because if Jesus could wash His disciples' feet, there's no task that's beneath us. Amen? No task. Servant leadership is first of all practical, but secondly, it's sacrificial. Again, back in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who was going to sit at the right hand at the place of privilege when Jesus was on His throne. And Jesus heard this and rebuked them. And listen to what He said. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Who wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Listen, a husband who does not lord his authority over his wife, but rather wraps a towel around his waist to serve her and lay down his life for her and to bless her, that's a husband worth submitting to. Men, your job is to serve your wife. Wives, your job is to serve your husband. That's why Paul prefaces this by saying to all Christians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
We are all to follow Jesus' example of self-sacrificial love and service for one another. Because, listen, if I am focused on meeting my wife's needs and she's focused on meeting my needs, then guess what? Everyone's needs are being met. But if we're just focused on you serve me, nobody's needs get met. Amen? So we've looked at the role of a dad powered by Jesus, but second, let's look at the reputation of a dad powered by Jesus. Look at the qualifications back in Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 5. The NIV says, men from among you who are known. Now your translation may say something like, men from among you of good reputation. So I believe these qualifications, the, the reputation these men had among the other believers in Jerusalem, this applies to us as Christian dads. And if you're fathering by the power of Jesus, I think you're going to have this kind of reputation. First, you're going to be in community with other Christians. These men were well known among the Christians in Jerusalem. I guarantee you they weren't content to just worship God out on the lake on a Sunday morning. They were active and engaged members of the church. They were doing life together because they needed the church and they knew the church needed them. They were plugged in. Now, men, we aren't really known for opening up and sharing our emotions or great details. Julie will often ask me about, you know, some, you know, something that happened or where I was or what somebody said, and I'll tell her and she'll say, no, 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 explain it to me like you're, as if you were a woman. <laughs> Meaning go into details. I want the details. I'm like, nope, it went well, you know, and I'm ready to move on, right? Men, we're, we're also, you know, studies show that we use uh, a few thousand words a day Less than women do. So I know that's no shock, no surprise. And men, we also tend to have more of a lone ranger mentality. But listen, God created us for community. He created us men to be in community with each other. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need brothers in Christ who will hold us accountable, mentor us, sharpen us, so we can be better Christ followers, better husbands, better dads. A Christ-like man is a man who is engaged in community with his church family. Secondly, he's, he's respected by others. Again, the New Living Translation says that they were well respected. He's a man that's highly thought of by others. In giving more detailed qualifications for pastors and deacons in 1 Timothy 3, Paul illustrates what it means to be well-respected. He says that they have to be temperate, having self-control, being hospitable and teachable, not being someone who is easily angered or drunk or violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So listen, dads, if you need a list of things to work on, of personal quality characters to work on, look at 1 Timothy 3. It's a great place to start. And being a man like Jesus, somebody who is respected by others, Third, they're full of the Spirit. They're full of the Spirit. That should be our reputation. In Acts 6-5, it specifically describes Stephen as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Philip, who's mentioned there, if you look over in Acts chapter 8, it illustrates what it was like for Philip to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean for us? What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? It means that we live fully surrendered to Jesus empowered to live as He commands. It means having that mind, that attitude of Christ Jesus, desiring the things that Jesus desires, adopting His mission, the Great Commission, as our own life mission. 
Basically, a spirit-filled Christian is a Christian who's on fire, who's burning with a passion for the zeal of the Lord, who is desiring and hungering and thirsting to glorify His name. To be full of the Spirit means you are all in for the kingdom of God. And when we're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit reminds us of biblical truths. He reminds us of those quality characteristics that we should model He convicts us of sin when we fail. He helps us recognize and avoid temptations. He empowers us to boldly witness. He gives us wisdom and discernment in our decision-making and in our disciplining our children. And His fruit is produced in our lives. When you are filled with God's Spirit, you're a better husband, you're a better father, because you're a man of love and peace and joy and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. You're filled with the Spirit. And when you mess up, and listen, dads, we mess up, don't we? Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you're perfect. But when you mess up and the Spirit convicts you of that, you own up to it. You admit when you're wrong. You ask for forgiveness. You apologize. And you try to make things right. But not only should our reputation be that of being filled with the Spirit, but filled with wisdom. Because Stephen is also described as being filled with wisdom. This is one of the results of being filled with the Spirit. Proverbs chapter 4 is a father's impassioned plea for his son to pursue and protect wisdom at all costs. Listen to what he says. Remember, this is a father to his son. He says, get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her. She will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. In other words, the wisest thing you can do is to get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. It's a priceless commodity. Americans spend over $10 billion a year on self-help books and programs. It's a lot of money. Because we desperately want wisdom in business, in leadership, in our health, or weight loss in self-esteem, in marriages, and parenting. But Paul warns the Corinthian Christians many times not to rely on human wisdom, but on the wisdom that comes from Christ. This is supernatural wisdom. It's not human reasoning. It's not common sense. In fact, it's an uncommon sense. And the Bible tells us it can even appear as foolishness to the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The wisdom that comes from God is nothing less than the very mind of Christ Himself. It's a wisdom that reveals the mysteries of the gospel, the knowledge of God's will, and is able to help us to mature in Christ-likeness. And how do we get this wisdom? Paul tells us we need it. Proverbs says whatever you do, get it at all costs. How do we get it? James gives us the answer. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James says, look, if you pray and ask God for wisdom, He's going to give it to you. He wants to give it to you. Yes, classes and programs and books can be helpful, but what we really need as husbands and as fathers is the wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom that comes when we're full of the Spirit. 
But also we need to be men who are full of faith. This is another specific quality mentioned about Stephen. Now, faith isn't something that you generate on your own. It's not something that you kind of come up with on your own, and if you do, God will just bless you more. And we talk like this, though. We talk about having faith and increasing faith and leaps of faith. But true faith is itself, like wisdom, like the Spirit, a gift from God. Stephen was full of faith and full of wisdom because he was full of the Spirit. And listen, if we allow God's Spirit to fill our hearts and our minds, we can also live boldly and courageously for the kingdom and for our families. Listen, there's a lot today that has to make us fearful for our children. So many things that we worry about, about them being exposed to, about them being influenced by. Things that we don't want them to see and we don't want them to hear. But rather than live in a spirit of fear and doubt, we need to live in the spirit that God gives, a spirit of love, and power, and self-discipline. And we can do that when we're full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom, and full of faith. Now, I want to conclude with a word of promise. We've talked about the roles and the reputations of a dad empowered by Jesus. What about the results? What are the results of fathering with the the power of Jesus in the way of Jesus? And we see a couple of results in Acts chapter 6. The first is discipleship. Look back at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly. Even Jewish priests were being converted to the faith. Dads, do you want to know how to disciple your children? Be that spiritual servant leader. Model a focus on prayer and the word of God. Be a servant to your wife, to the people in your life. Model that attitude of self-sacrificing love and humility. Listen, discipleship isn't just a program of the church. We hear discipleship, we think, well, that's, that's why they go to youth group. That's why they go to VBS. That's why they go to Sunday school. But listen, discipleship is simply living out your faith in Jesus into the world around you, into the lives of other people. That's how you make disciples. When we do life together in the Spirit, we are being discipled, and we are making disciples. And leading your children to faith in Christ, discipling your children, that's not my job, it's not Ben's job, that is your job, moms and dads. We're here to help, we're here to encourage, we're here to equip and to pray, but the greatest responsibility and the greatest gift that you can ever give your children is to lead them to faith in Jesus and disciple them so they will grow in Christ. Discipleship is a result of fathering in the power of Jesus. But secondly, abundant life is the result. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, Paul talks to children, and he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. Why? So that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now that original command with the promise given to the people of Israel was related to the promised land. God was saying, look, if you want to stay here in this land I've given you, you've got to honor your parents. That's the first thing he said. Not don't worship idols, although he says that. Not don't do this. He says honor your parents. God connected Israel's ability to keep the land with the attitude they had toward their parents. And for us, this principle doesn't apply in literal land that we live in, but it applies in living a life of blessing, a life of abundance. We all want our children to flourish, amen? 
We want our children to live full, long, and meaningful lives. And they can and will be blessed by that knowledge if we will father and mother in the way and power of Jesus. What is powering your life today? What is the power for you as students, boys and girls, young people? When you're at school, when you're playing on the, on the sport, you're playing sports of some kind, you're involved in some other kind of activity, you're working at a job, what is the source of your power? Men and women, as, as employees or employers, what is the source of your power? Husbands and wives, what is powering your marriage? Moms and dads, what is powering your parenting? Is it yourself? Is it trying to do you know, religious activities and things? Is it your wisdom? Is it money and, and just that, that, that drive for success? What is powering your life? If it's anything less than Jesus, you're going to experience a power failure. Our power flickered this morning, and, and we lost power here, here at the church a little earlier before worship started. And you know, We've heard about brownouts in, in Texas and California. Listen, when you try to seek anything but the power of Jesus Christ in your life, if you're trying to earn God's favor, if you think that if you just go to church and you just get wet and you just say the right things, you're going to go to heaven when you die, I've got bad news for you. You're going to find out that your batteries are dead and that you have no power. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to give us power. Power to overcome sin. Power to be forgiven of everything we've ever done. Power to have a fresh start and a new life. And yes, power to raise our children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. I'm going to extend the invitation here in just a minute. And the invitation is this, as we sing, that if you realize today that you've been trying to power your life by things that are untrustworthy, that will fail you, and they have failed you, and you know they failed you, I invite you to come today to put your trust in Jesus Christ. To ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to give you a fresh start, a new abundant life, to help you flourish as a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad. I invite you to come and put your trust in the One who gave His all for you. Would you stand and pray with me, Father? Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you for modeling for us what love, self-sacrificing, humble, servant love looks like. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life. May we model our lives as friends, as family, as workers or employers. May we model our lives on You. And if there's anyone here today who knows in their heart that they don't have you, they're not following you, that if they were to die right now, they don't know that they would spend eternity with you in heaven. I pray that you would impress upon their hearts to come now and to make the decision to give their lives fully to you, to trust you, to be the power that's lacking within them, to live life to the fullest. Father, those of us that are believers, that we sometimes struggle, we get distracted by the things of this world, we we turn and we see something new and flashy that promises us so many wonderful things and we find ourselves off course. God, may they know that they can come to you today and renew their walk with you, and recommit their life to following you and to fathering and mothering in your way and in your power. God, may your people move as your spirit moves. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.